and welcome to Life in the Clouds, a podcast about anything from enterprise technology to software development to current industry trends. I am your co-host, Brittany Colson, a cloud evangelist, alongside Dustin Bennett, a software development engineer, and this is Life in the Clouds. Today's episode, number three, is going to get into some questions remaining from the prior two podcasts. And then, really, we're going to take a deep dive into augmented reality, which is currently really being bastardized in the news lately. So with that, Dustin, do you want to kick us off? Yeah, thanks, Britt. Um, As I was going through and editing the last couple podcasts, I took note of a few things that I wanted to expound upon a little bit. So we'll spend a few minutes up front kind of getting through those questions that I had. Um, And then we'll get into kind of what we were talking about with augmented reality and a couple conversations that we've had uh, in regards to that recently. Yeah, sounds good. Okay, so first, um, you mentioned at a couple points that education is developed within marketing in companies. I was just curious uh, if you could expand a little bit on exactly what you meant by that. I just meant that a lot of actually the documentation in which people learn from comes from more of the product marketing function within a company. Now, product marketing actually can be sometimes within engineering. I know that that's the case actually at VMware, but Uh, They've just recently moved, I think, product marketing over actually to more of a uh, marketing function. But regardless, essentially what I'm trying to get at is that marketing actually creates a lot of the documentation that's used in any one sort of enterprise educational setting. So let's take sales education, right? That's usually a function or a department under the sales leader. That is like a separate group. Um, I know it is at our company, but they work with and partner with product marketing teams to make sure that they're getting a lot of the fundamental documents that make up their trainings. And then they always review like, you know, test questions and so on and so forth. It's really the product marketing organization that fuels and the messaging organization rather that fuels these two kind of components for education across the company. So it sounds like you're referring more directly towards Salesforce education versus engineering education. Like, for instance, marketers aren't writing the API documentation or things that like the the engineers are using to learn about these systems. It sounds like you're referring more towards Salesforce education. Right. Yeah. And and external education, I guess, for that matter. Um, For example, if there is documentation that is put forward, like I know when I was at Google, documentation that would be put forward that was going to be externally facing, it was product marketing that also reviewed it and edited it and made sure that it was, you know, externally facing essentially. Sure. So I'm thinking then Google a couple specific examples of documentation that I've, I've learned a lot from and thought were pretty robust. The Android SDK one. And then like the material UI style guidelines. I I don't think those are put forth by marketing divisions. Yeah, that's true. Anyway, I just... Uh, the reason I asked is just I just wanted to make I, wanted, I, I was, don't know why I said that in I, I don't know why I dug in I tried to make my point no right it's, it's, I mean it's all, all I was saying is that it is kind of a forcing function before anything goes externally and so that's why I feel like that's a part of marketing that people don't really realize 
Right. Um, and that's all I meant, I guess, yeah. by that. In the I mean, I, I, I agree. Like, I definitely never had considered the amount of education, training, testing, revision that goes into being in enterprise tech sales. So that's definitely a huge aspect of any company's, like, internal learning and internal development. If you're not selling, if nobody's buying you don't have a company. Right? Yeah, like to give you an example too of even a training I did on, you know, today's Saturday, uh, yesterday was I actually trained our agency that writes customer references on our behalf sometimes. So there's a lot of training that you have to give these people and it's even, you know, fundamental because these are writers, right? So it's, you have to actually explain to them what a virtual machine is, what a container is, what is microservices, you know, kind of give them the fundamentals too of what distributed computing really gives to a CTO. What are they kind of challenged with? So I think it's, it's education in different regards too. Like, I think you're right. Like I probably, again, have more of a sales marketing view and you have more of an engineering view. And so we probably take those two questions in two different ways. What do you mean by customer reference? You said you help write customer references. What, what exactly is that? What do you use them for? Yeah. So I think that there's, you know, some, it's kind of a thing that is in our industry and that is no one really wants to be first to the punch everyone kind of says that they want to be this innovative leader, but people want to make sure that a methodology is kind of proven before they take a big plunge. So maybe a fast follower instead of a, the first leader. Exactly. And so in order to get references out there, which is how customers say, oh, okay, someone else has done this. This is how they did it. This is the kind of returns that they got from that investment, which really helps an engineer who's trying to buy a technology set up essentially an argument to purchase that technology on behalf of its company, right? You kind of have to get your budgets approved and there's a whole portfolio of things that you need to have in order to help get that approval, right? Especially as these sales get higher in dollar value. So as an enterprise technology company, you kind of create customer references, meaning as soon as there's a customer win, you track that win, you also um, you know, go back to the customer and interview them on what was it that they got out of that solution or, or how did the experience with working with that particular company kind of help them, right? And then you document that just like you would directions to an SDK, to your point, it's kind of a, a, a methodology reference. So it's helped use in other companies or helped use in both the sales trajectory as well as other companies actually buying the technology. So in order to get those out the door very quickly, because you can imagine, again, everyone wants to be a fast follower, you have to use agencies to kind of pump those stories out the door quicker because, again, it's this idea of bursting capacity at certain times of need, right? Do you think that impacts the genuineness of those stories if agencies are writing them on behalf of the customers and the words aren't coming from the customers themselves? No, because most of our customers aren't writers. And at the end of the day, I think your ability to communicate a circumstance is just as, if not more valuable than actually knowing or have gone through that circumstance. 
So I think when you have professional writers that are able to, you know, on behalf of the company, again, now you're putting a third party. So it almost makes the voice of the customer more intact. So who's paying these uh, agencies to do the writing? Oh, the technology companies. Because at the end of the day, you're trying to motivate a customer to buy something. Right. right? But they're like, that's like, I would argue that that's somewhat of an agency problem then for the company is that they're being like paid and compensated by the company that's selling the thing not by the person who's champion like it, it, it's it's a fair like it's a common thing right in the publishing industry people will blurb and put comments on books that are pre-written for them on the dust jackets of books but they don't necessarily write those words themselves they just have to prove that they've been written well, I guess so, but I, I think you're getting more into outsourcing and specialists in a marketing industry versus, you know, and, and you're kind of arguing the, the whole validity of outsourcing anything. You know, I could, I could say you probably outsource coding some of your applications, you know, um, to maybe a, a GSI or global systems integrator or something like that when it's kind of a redundant job. Um, or it takes a lot of time, effort, and energy when you can kind of just review an overall code. I would equate it more towards like for an e-commerce company. If the e-commerce company itself is juicing reviews on behalf and acting as customers or paying a third-party agency to write customer reviews that customers then just kind of approve rather than customers writing the reviews themselves. That's more how I would equate it in kind of like the e-com engineering world. I guess so, but I think there's a difference between references and just reviews, right? right. And, and I want to make fair. sure that that, that is just, clear I, I because was... I don't. I actually find that correlation more negative on what references really are. So I'm trying to make an analog because okay. I think your analog of the like outsourcing software is invalid. Like I think that's a false analogy in this scenario. I think that's the closest analogy that I can draw in the space that I'm currently in. I guess so. I mean, yours is more aligned to the actual work. I guess the, the argument that I was trying to make was a correlation to just outsourcing work. Right. So the work that you're outsourcing is the writing of the reference and the interviewing of these different customers. Right. So writing and interviewing takes a special skill set. So you either have that skill set in house or you outsource that skill set. And I guess that's the analogy I was trying to make in kind of talking about coding analogies is this idea of outsourcing. What you're saying then, it sounds like, is that if the agency wasn't writing these customer references, uh, the tech company itself would be writing the customer references. The customers themselves would not be writing these references in any scenario. Correct. Because they're usually pretty lengthy, right? They're usually three-page articles that kind of document the process that they went on to do this solution, right? No one just kind of buys a product and writes a reference. I agree that's probably more something you can buy online and have a review for. A reference really does take the whole like, this is how we planned it. This was our beginning state. Here's what we implemented, you know, and these are kind of the trials and tribulations we went through in doing that. Here are the products that we used and put together because of XYZ, and this is what we got out of it. Right. So it's more of a methodical paper, in my opinion. But then they do get reviewed by the customers. And and usually there's a lot of iterations. Think about any on video uh, customer interviews you've done. Uh, A lot of those people that actually interview customers on camera, too, are of an agency. Because, again, 
that process of interviewing someone is kind of a skill set, right, that one develops over time. It's time to talk about our sponsor, G1 Consulting Group. G1 provides many services from software implementation to strategic business development. Their diverse team of consultants has experience across dozens of industries and companies. What sets G1 apart is its focus on cultivating a trusted partnership with their clients, ultimately sharing in outcomes and successes. If you have a project that's stuck or a new initiative that you're undertaking or need help exploring the business landscape, contact G1 Consulting Group. You can find them at www.g1cg.com. That's www.g1cg.com. Okay, I think we've kind of run out the education developed in marketing question from the first <laughs> podcast. That's really true. Sorry. <laughs> so just this is the second one, and I've got just a few more bullet points here on wrapping up the first session. You mentioned at one point that marketers know a cooler part of the job that they do, and you said that's kind of true for any function. I just I wasn't sure if that was more off the cuff or what you exactly meant by the marketers know a cooler part of the job that they do. The way that I interpreted it as you went through explaining it was that the marketers know, everybody in a technology company knows some foundational amount about technology, but then marketers have an additional spike in like the marketing aspect. And I wasn't sure if that's what you meant or if you could dig more into like, what do you find cool about being able to spike in the marketing segment of a tech company? Yeah, so I think there's a couple of different things and I definitely meant what you're saying. Okay, like cool. there is kind of, and I guess it, it fundamentally how do you define cool? And maybe that's just a, an intrinsic word I use in my personality. But to me, cool parts are, you know, events and concerts at these events and kind of getting to film TV shows and getting to, you know, look at different advertisements and getting kind of more able to spread what a company does in a world stage. I just think of all of not only just the company events, but other industry events that I've been to and I find those very cool aspects of my job. Now I think I define that marketers find these cool where some engineers might find knowing the most innovative tech out there in the market or something like that is the coolest part and they are able to touch it, you know, is the coolest part of their job function. So I guess you're right, cool is really the more asterisk word in this saying. But for me, I like the whole global outreach of being able to take what we do and then talk to customers about it in a more relaxed setting, such as events or concerts or something like that. But then I heard this week that you didn't even go to the concerts at these events. <laughs> Generally, no. I find them a little bit distracting from the core work to be done at hand, which I know. kind of lines up with my general philosophy of... Uh, I've, I think I've said a couple times, one of my marketing professors, my favorite line is marketing's all just bullshittery and tap dancing. So that's, hey, uh, well, <laughs> I think that lines up with the, um, you know, shying away from some of the extracurriculars at conferences and focusing on more of the core learning and relationship building. I don't think that marketing's bullshittery. I mean, I think more and more marketing's being tasked with being more statistics than anything else. So I, I think that there is definitely a math component, but I don't think we need to argue marketing versus engineering. Just know that marketing's cooler in my book. <laughs> <laughs> 
That, that kind of leads into the next question. You mentioned that marketers tend to shy away from technology. Just curious about why you think that might be. I've seen that a little bit in practice, and it would be... Again, I, I feel like the way that I can articulate myself better is by drawing an analogy to engineering, which is kind of what I think our conversations are, are starting to become, which is kind of fun. The way a coding developer right, would probably shy away from public speaking, a marketer sometimes shies away from the technology because they don't touch it every day. right? And oftentimes, marketers, their expertise lies within digital marketing, PR, you know, analyst relations, maybe they're really good at um, campaigns or, you know, there's different functions within marketing that have skill set development. And I think sometimes you hire for that skill set versus their technical knowledge within what the company's offering is. So if you're trying to identify discrete customer segments, you would hire like an expert in like customer segmentation research, not necessarily a technology marketing expert and expect them to learn about customer segmentation research. Exactly. Euphorically, right? I mean, <laughs> right. I think, in an ideal world. <laughs> right. <laughs> I think the reality is, is that we all kind of take on jobs where we have to kind of learn the skill set of that job when you take it on, right? Um but it's still that person's role to kind of cover what exactly, you know, the aspects of that role are supposed to execute on. So whether they have to learn that task on the fly or not. But yeah, I mean, you would probably hire in more of a segmentation expert. And those experts actually are developed a lot in the agency world in marketing, right? So there's these, there's a group of five giant agencies worldwide that kind of have gobbled up, and I know we talked about mergers and acquisitions in tech, but in marketing have gobbled up all of these, you know, thousands of agencies that had developed over the few years. I think the interesting thing about marketing as well that leads back to tech is that there are now more marketing technologies out there um, than I think there actually is kind of head agencies. So there's a lot of vent marketing technology vendors out there trying to get into any one point of these giant conglomerates. And usually they're, I think, hurting the conglomerates more so than anything else. But that's probably another topic. So we've come a long way from Don Draper is what you're saying. A long way from Don (laughs) Draper. Yeah. And I guess that's what I'm saying too, is that we're not just... I wouldn't say that marketing is a dumb fu- function of the organization and yeah, it has not. to be developed and more and more, you know, they say what Gartner says that the CMO now will have more budget um, than the CTO and the CMO is not just buying magazine ads anymore, right? The, the CMO is really buying technology. That would be a good thing to dive into subsequently, I think, is what's that balance look like for CMO, CTO, and where are the lines and whatnot. Yeah, but that's uh, not what we're talking about today. That's not what we're talking about. And I think <laughs> we've uh, we've about run out the questions from uh, the first episode. So why don't we take a break here and then dive into the the discussions we've had recently on augmented reality? Perfect. All right. Well, thanks, guys. And that's the wrap for episode three. Guys and gals. Guys and gals. Well, I always, you know, whatever. Y'all. How about y'all? Thanks, y'all. No. I can't <laughs> not for do me. It. I can do that. <laughs> All right. Well, that's a wrap for episode three. Yeah. Thanks again for tuning in to Life in the Clouds, and we hope you all have a great week. 
Signing off from Brittany and Dustin. As always, you can find us at lifeinthecloud.dev on social media platforms at Life in the Cloud 5. That's Life in the Cloud number 5, as well as this podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or any other podcast provider. We'd like to thank our sponsor, G1 Consulting Group. You can find them at g1cg.com. And we switched up the music this week. We're using Something Elated by Broke for Free. Once again, thanks for joining us. Have a wonderful week.